Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. Twitter, I highly recommend following me there because I post constantly on there. Just really quick stuff, but I get a lot of content out there. TikTok, of course, I've been uploading a lot. Podcast has always been priority numero uno, though. And the Super Bowl matchup is set, right? Eagles-Chiefs, the two one seeds. Not the most surprising outcome, but still a damn exciting one, all right? Still a damn exciting matchup, all right? And I'm going to talk about that matchup towards the end. But I want to start the podcast by talking about some news that broke earlier today. That doesn't have to do with the NFL playoffs. It has to do with one of the quarterbacks that made it to the playoffs. But didn't really do much once he made it. Hence why he's deciding to retire. Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback, greatest player in the history of the sport, announced his retirement for the second time of his career today. On the one-year anniversary of the first time, he announced his retirement and then came back. And maybe I'm just in denial because for as long as I've been alive, this guy has been a starting quarterback in the NFL. But I don't think this retirement is legit. I really don't. I think there's a lot of stuff that's very, very fishy about it, okay? I just think it's too coincidental that this is just a couple days before his movie, 80 for Brady, I believe it's called, releases. Right, I think this is a way for him to get publicity so more people watch the movie. I think that's part of it. Because, you know, this fake retirement, a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, Tom Brady's retired. Let me let me watch the movie about him. This 80 for Brady thing, which he is in. So I, I think that's part of it. And then another reason I just find it so hard to believe is Matthew Stafford, when he left the Lions, when he got traded, he made a nine-minute video. Nine minutes. Nine-minute, very emotional, high-quality video of him basically thanking the entire city of Detroit, all that good stuff. And that was just one section of a guy's career in which he didn't even win a Super Bowl, didn't win an MVP or anything, didn't have many winning seasons, just one part of a guy's career. And he made a nine-minute video about it, posted on the Detroit Lions Twitter. Meanwhile, Tom Brady is retiring after having the greatest career of all time, and he makes a minute-long video. Now, in that video, he did say, Oh, he used his one essay, so, or he used his one emotional paragraph, or used his one emotional 
uh, notes app writing, whatever. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, I'm not going to write something very long because I used my one opportunity to do that last year. But here's the thing. You look at that thing he wrote for his Instagram. It's available on his Instagram where he, you know, talked about his retirement, talked about his decision to retire. He almost made it a point of emphasis to avoid thanking the Patriots organization, thanking Patriots fans, thanking his teammates on the Patriots. He thanked his teammates, but he made sure to add the word Buccaneers teammates. Right? So I look at that, and I just find it hard to believe that Tom Brady retires without thanking the team and the fans and the players and the coaches that surrounded him for the large majority of his career. I find that very difficult to believe. So I don't think that this is a legit retirement. I I really don't. That being said, I feel like there might be about a 20% chance that this is legit. And I want to talk about the possible reasons why Brady might have decided to hang up the cleats if this is for real. Reason one, and the reason everyone's really talking about, he noticed how hard it is to win at his current age and doesn't think that he has much gas left in the tank, right? So if he continues to play, he's really just going to spend a lot of time and effort just to not get to the high level that he's made it to before. He's not going to win another MVP at his age. He's not going to win another Super Bowl at his age, or at least it's very unlikely both of those two things. And even though he might want to retire after a Super Bowl, right? I I just think he might have finally noticed, like, yeah, it's unrealistic. I had a chance to retire after winning a Super Bowl, and then I got greedy, tried to get one more. And, well, I don't think I can do it again. Uh, That probably is the reason, very realistic reason to do it. Or my other reason, he wanted to retire last year. But Ian Rappaport reported his retirement before he did, and he wanted to announce his own retirement. He didn't want... And then he didn't want a NFL source, an NFL reporter reporting his retirement before he does. So he literally only played last year at a petty for a petty reason like that. Now, I don't think that that's entirely the reason. I think it's probably a mixture of the two, or maybe that second one doesn't have any impact on it, but it's definitely food for thought. I, I think it probably is a mixture of the two. I do think that. But I still don't think the retirement's legitimate. I'm not going to make an entire speech about, oh, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Here's all the things they did. Here's how amazing he was because I don't think he's legitimately retired. So I'm not going to force myself to talk about it. If he is legitimately retired, congratulations on having the greatest career In the history of the league, you set the bar really high, and 
the league wouldn't be even remotely the same if not for Thomas Brady. I'm not going to speak much more than that because, again, I don't think it's legit. But, hey, congratulations if it is. Now, let's talk about these conference championship games. The Philadelphia Eagles playing against the San Francisco 49ers. This could have, no, should have been an amazing game right here. It really should have. But the NFL gods show no mercy. And Brock Purdy went down very quickly with an injury. And then to make matters worse, Josh Johnson didn't just do poorly. He got hurt too. So we were forced to watch a Philadelphia Eagles team that is extremely talented and extremely dominant playing against a 49ers game team that is also ridiculously good, ridiculously talented. But they don't have anyone to throw the football. And this is a playoff game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. And we were forced to watch a game with such high stakes. Just be a dud. Absolute dud. Now, I'm not going to go on and on about this game. I'm just going to talk about the t- this disappointment we call an NFC championship briefly. Right? Because there are there are a couple of things to talk about here. Number one, the Devonta Smith catch or quote-unquote quote catch to open the game on that fourth and six. First off, ballsy call to go for it there, although Nick Sariani is a ballsy guy. That's what he does. But at first I thought that that was a ridiculous catch. Then I saw that it wasn't a catch. And it is horrible that the official just let that play slide. Because that game shifts the that game shifts completely if that play doesn't work out right because it was a fourth down the 49ers got the ball back in good good position right they probably score early you know i i think that game changes a lot instead of the eagles getting momentum to start it the 49ers have momentum i mean That was a huge play, and it shouldn't have stood. It should not have stood. I don't think anyone's denying that it should have been ruled incomplete. Of course, it looked like a catch at first, but once we saw the angles, they showed the worst possible angle at first. But once they showed the correct angle, it was blatantly obvious that it wasn't a catch. And even Devonta Smith knew it, and that's why I want to talk about this play. Devonta Smith, the second the play ended, when he got up the off the floor, off the turf, he started pounding his knuckles together. As to single, as to signal for a whatever play. Just hurry up offense, pretty much, was what he was signaling for. And if you're an official, you gotta think, why the hell would he do that? Oh yeah. He probably didn't catch the ball. But, you know, you're not just going to 
review it because of that. But as an official, you have the ability to stand over the ball and be like, okay, hold on. We're just checking something really quick. Because in the booth, the officials have access to every camera angle they show on the broadcast, on the TV broadcast. They have access to all the angles. And in the game, the officials, or sorry, the announcers said that the reason that they missed the call was because the officials don't have all the angles. Yeah, that's just not true. Okay? Sources who know anything all said the officials have access to that camera angle. They should have saw it. They could have, you know, held the game up for a little bit and knew that it wasn't a catch. Right? And this is why I think we need some changes to the officiating crew and how they get their officials, all right? Listen, people are going to complain about the refs no matter what, but there there were a lot of bad calls this weekend, a lot. And it wasn't just the Bengals game. A lot of people are complaining about the calls in the Bengals game. But I, I think this 49ers-Eagles game, I think the officiating might have been worse, okay? I mean, the roughing the punter. In this game was a horrendous call because the tight end just straight up threw a guy into the punter. I mean, listen, this, they need to change some things. They need to change a lot. Now, let's talk about some of the stuff that has to do with the players and the teams, right? Purdy went down really early and... It seemed like the 49ers almost gave up once Purdy went down. I'm not going to lie. Now, not gave up completely, but you would think Purdy goes down. You don't have much faith in Josh Johnson, and I can't really blame them. The guy literally fumbled a snap. But Kyle Shanahan, he has a lot of tricks up his sleeves. Where the fuck were they in this game? The jet sweeps, right? That's a big part of the Shanahan offense. Where was that all game? You know, you have trick plays. You could use them. I just think there's a lot of stuff that the 49ers could have done to help Josh Johnson. They tried the screen game, but the problem was that was the only way they knew how to throw the ball once Purdy went down. But how about some other stuff to help? Josh Johnson out like maybe a double reverse or something because you were at a talent deficit your quarterback isn't very good at this moment once Purdy goes down you gotta no one's gonna get mad at you for doing a double reverse on second and 10 okay because well you're not expected to win this game once Purdy goes down so might as well do some stuff because the straight drop back passing game wasn't working at all. The screen passes that they were doing to death got very predictable and they weren't working. The running game was getting dominated because the opposing team wasn't worried about the pass at all. I mean, listen, it was bad. It was bad. I know it's hard to operate against a defense like that when your quarterback, when your starting quarterback is injured and you're on your fourth string guy. But 
I I need to see something more than that. It seems like they literally gave up. And once Josh Johnson went down too, and they literally had no one to throw the ball. Yeah, they completely gave up there. I almost wanted to see them go wildcat. I really did. Because at least then you have the threat of the quarterback running. Because Purdy wasn't able to throw the ball anymore. Okay? Like, he wasn't able to. So, you might as well at least have a quarterback that adds something to the offense. Even if it's not the ability to throw, at least the quarterback option, quarterback running game is something to worry about. I mean... I don't want to say it was a bad showing by Shanahan because he was put in a terrible situation once Purdy and especially Josh Johnson went down. But it seemed like the team gave up, or at least the offense. The defense, on the other hand, played very well, all things considered. Okay, I mean, they kept the game somewhat close. They kept the game decently tight, or they kept the 49ers in it, I guess. The 49ers had a fighting chance all the way until, like, the late or, like, mid-fourth, which is unbelievable because that 49ers offense was doing nothing. The 49ers defense played very well, and they deserve a lot of credit. Now, let's move over to the real game of the week, all right? The real conference championship game here because this Bengals game, against the Chiefs in Kansas City, this was a damn good game. In Burrowhead, right? But who came out on top? Kansas City. And it all started when Chris Jones went out there and just destroyed that Bengals offensive line. He was doing it all day, but especially in the first two Bengals drives, I mean, Burrow was getting picked apart. And it wasn't his fault. The offensive line was getting destroyed play after play after play. And that was mainly because Chris Jones is just an animal. I mean, I know that they don't factor in playoffs in the awards, right? But if they did, Chris Jones would be making the defensive player of the year case right now. I just want to make that clear. Like, what he's done all season, but especially in this Bengals game, it's remarkable. It is remarkable. He's a defensive stud. Okay? You got to feel bad for Burrow seeing him get sacked play after play after play like that. But the Bengals defense held up. It did. This was a surprisingly defensive game. So... With the Bengals, right, they have a hole, and that's the offensive line, and that's why the running game couldn't get going. But they're still just so good. Burrow is so good at getting the ball out fast that receivers like Jamar and T. Higgins can just make plays anyway. Like, they have a huge gap on that roster in the offensive line with all these injuries, too. And the Chiefs were taking advantage of it early. But that Bengals defense held up, and the Bengals still had a fighting chance. And eventually, they were able to overcome that weakness on the offensive line. At least throwing the ball. The problem was that running game. And I think if the Bengals running game was working, they win this game. But it wasn't working at all. And that's why the Bengals lost. 
Mixon did absolutely nothing on the ground. Eight carries for 19 yards. They abandoned the running game, and I don't blame them because Mixon was getting lit up every play. And again, it was Chris Jones balling out here. And there's a lot of players that really just stood out in this Chiefs game. This Chiefs game wasn't really like a schematic masterclass, all right? It was individual players really lighting it up. Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, because of course he is. And it's becoming really clear with Kelsey that it doesn't matter how you scheme up a way to cover him. It doesn't matter who you have man-on-man with him. He's going to have a good day. It's impossible to stop him, okay? He is the most consistent player in the league, seemingly. I mean, he just, every week, whether it's playoffs, whether against a good defense, a bad defense, a defense with very good coverage linebackers, a defense that's very good at guarding the tight end, it doesn't matter ever. Kelsey is guaranteed to score a touchdown, have a big play here and there, going to consistently be a reliable option. I mean, he is... His consistency at this age is insane. He isn't a role player. He is the star for this Chiefs offense. I mean, you got Mahomes throwing to him, obviously. But then after that, I mean, he's like the star of the offense. And he's the big reason they don't need Tyreek Hill because he's the big playmaker, Travis Kelsey. He's the big reliable guy. He's the big game breaker. They don't need another guy because Kelsey's good enough. That's all they need. And then how could I talk about individuals standing out for the Chiefs without talking about Marquez Valdez-Scanling and him probably having the game of his career? Kadarius Tony gets injured. Juju hurt. They need players to step up. Sky Moore wasn't doing too much for them, but Marquez Valdez-Scanling was. He was the real breakout star here. He was an X-Factor. When you talk about an X-Factor player and an X-Factor, helping a team a lot in the playoffs, this is one of the best examples of it. When I talk about an X-Factor player that will really benefit a team late in the season, this is the textbook example of what I'm talking about. Scantling had a day. He had a day. Six receptions, 116 yards. And even Pacheco, right? Isaiah Pacheco had... A good game. He did a lot in the receiving game. He wasn't a maniac, but, you know, he was a reliable guy for them. But let's give credit to the Bengals, too. I mean, they kept this game really close. Joe Burrow had, even with the two picks, he had a good game. He had a good game. The problem was, of course, those two picks, and I need to talk about them. That first one was just bad. I don't really get what he was thinking there. He kind of threw that to the defender. And then the second one, it was first and 10. And I get it, you're confident in T. Higgins. And that's great to have confidence in your receivers. And, you know, he's a great 50-50 ball guy. Sure, I understand that. But on first and 10, you're really going to throw up a 50-50 ball into double coverage? That makes no sense. I'm going to be honest. And, you know, it would have been cool if it worked, but I just don't understand why you try that in on first and 10, you're not that far. You're not like far behind. It really doesn't make sense to me why Joe Burrow may, attempted that throw. 
I know he's confident in I know he's confident in T. Higgins, and maybe T. Higgins comes down with that ball uh three times out of five. Maybe. But still, I just think it's not really a smart decision there. Why take that risk on first down? I don't get that. It really was just an arm punt, so it wasn't like they gave the Chiefs the ball in good field position, but I, I really don't like how they wasted a drive like that. Like I said, Mixon not being able to do anything on the ground and really just the overall Bengals run game not doing anything on the ground really killed them. That was really the the straw that broke the camel's back, right? But I feel like I can't talk about this game without talking about the officiating here. And a lot of people are dissing it. A lot of people are. But I, I don't hate all the calls here. In fact, I think a lot of the calls that people are complaining about are kind of dumb. I think they're complaining about the wrong calls, in all honesty. Uh, the Joseph Osai, uh, unnecessary roughness hitting Patrick Mahomes out of bounds. That was a very clear unnecessary roughness. He can't hit, especially a quarterback after he's out of bounds like that. It, it, Osai had a really good game, and he deserves a lot of credit for keeping the Bengals in this game. But... It was a bad play on his part, without a doubt. And then a lot of people are complaining that there was holding on that play. I don't think people really understand. In the NFL, if you hold, like, inside the shoulder pads, they're never going to call it because, well, as someone that plays offensive line, right, and, you know, maybe I, I don't, I don't play in college. I'm not planning on playing in college. I'm not the best offensive lineman of all time, but I'm a starting offensive lineman for a high school football team, right? These defensive linemen, if I was asked to block them without grabbing inside the shoulder pads, and even these NFL players, if they were asked to block one of these guys, like people forget the defensive linemen are some of the best athletes on the team. It's nearly impossible to block those guys without grabbing the shoulder pad. Like, it's not possible, really. It won't happen. Especially at an NFL level where these guys are running like four eights. I mean, I feel like people are just complaining because the Chiefs won. I think that there are legitimate calls that I didn't like, though. There definitely are. I didn't like the rough, the pass interference on Mike Hilton. I thought that that was really bad, them calling that. I know one of them was he was literally holding the guy, and that was the defensive holding. That was a very good call, right? That was very clear holding. But then there was another one they called on Mike Hilton that just wasn't pass interference. Like, it, it was just a bad call. Like, I guess it was a little bit touchy, but it kind of happens all the time. Like, it was textbook coverage, so I hated that. And then the intentional grounding on Joe Burrow when he just threw the ball at the feet of the offensive lineman. I feel like that happens way too often and doesn't get called. You know, the rule is within five yards of a receiver, it wasn't... You could technically count that as targeting Samaj P. Ryan. So, yeah, I don't like that call at all. And, you know, these are two minor calls. Like, these weren't huge. But 
in a game like this, where it comes down to the wire and it's a three-point game, yeah, the, that call would have made a difference. It would have. So, don't make those stupid calls. I, I think it's that simple. I, I think people have every right to complain about the officiating. They're complaining about the wrong stuff. I get complaining about, oh, the Chiefs having two-third downs in order to convert. But the Chiefs didn't convert on either of them anyway, so it didn't matter. And then the block on the block in the back on the kick return. Again, I feel like that's a play that happens a lot. I mean, they could have called it. I guess people wouldn't really have a problem with it, but I, I feel like that happens a lot. And I also don't think it was the worst block in the back ever. I feel like it was a little bit of an acting job by the Bengals. Which is fine. Like, you're supposed to do that. But still, I, I mean, I think people have the right to complain. I just think they're complaining about the wrong stuff. Okay, like the Joseph Osai rough, uh, and unnecessary roughness. I feel like that's not really up for debate. That's just very clear unnecessary roughness. So, yeah. The officiating wasn't very good. They screwed up some calls, but those calls weren't exactly of the biggest impact, were they? So now it's finally time to talk about the Super Bowl matchup. But first, I'm going to go on a short break, and I'll see you all after that. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer. And I'm going to go over my prediction for Super Bowl 57 in Arizona featuring the Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles, led by Jalen Hurts. Let's talk about it. All right. This should be a damn good game. It really should. But I'm just going to tell you my pick right out the gate. I'm picking Philly. I am. I like Kansas City a lot. I think that they do a lot of things right. But I think Philly can just beat you in so many different ways. There's not something that Kansas City can do and then be confident that the Eagles won't be able to counterplay it. Right? You focus too much on the run game, you get picked apart through the air. You focus too much on their passing game, and then you got Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts running all over you. And then the defense, too, is just amazing. I think that there's a lot of key matchups here. But the main one that I'm going to be watching is Jason Kelsey versus Chris Jones. This is the best interior defensive lineman versus the best interior offensive lineman in the NFL. And I think it's going to be a damn, damn good matchup. Whoever wins that more is going to determine the winner of the game, probably. Because if Chris Jones can't get past Jason Kelsey, at least, let's say, 65% of the time, right? If he can't win that matchup 65% of the run plays, then you're going to need... Frank Clark to beat Lane Johnson or George Karlaftis to beat Jordan Mailata or you'll need Nick Bolton to make a tackle and he's very capable of doing that 
But by the time they get to Nick Bolton, it's probably going to already be a five-yard run. And that's one of the main things here. I think Kansas City can stop or can prevent the Eagles running game from popping big. And I don't think they're going to let them control the game because I do trust Chris Jones to win that matchup enough. And I think even when he doesn't, Nick Bolton's going to be there to stop the play. And I don't think the Eagles are going to get explosive runs off. But I don't think they're going to completely shut down that running game. I think the Eagles are probably going to be held to around four yards per carry, which is fine. I think it could be lower. Like I said, if Chris Jones wins that matchup more, yeah, that's that's going to be very good for them because then Philly's going to have to win the game through the air, which they also could do a lot. And that's what I think it's going to come down to. I think Jalen Hurts is going to win this game with his arm. I do. I think... Four yards per carry is probably best-case scenario for Philly here. I'm going to be honest. They're realistically probably going to look at, like, 3.7, 3.5 yards per carry, which is good for KC. But I think Philly will be able to get the run game going a a little bit. It's not going to be explosive. It's not going to completely control the game. They are going to need to throw the ball a bit, and I think it will work when they try to. However, if Casey could get a pick or two, you know, just turnovers for some turnovers, and then the, the offense doesn't turn the ball over, they'll probably win this game. I'm not too worried about Kansas City offensively, but I don't think I don't think it's gonna be much of a oh, you know, we got Travis Kelsey doing a little bit, and Isaiah Pacheco does a little bit, and uh, we got Marquez Valdez-Scantling going off, and Sky Moore does a little bit. I don't think it's going to be one of those games. I think it's going to be Travis Kelsey having around 170 yards. (laughs) Okay? Like, that's what I'm expecting, a Travis Kelsey masterclass here, but the Kansas City receiver core won't be able to do anything, really. I think Pacheco gets a little bit, and McKinnon maybe does a bit, but I think it's mainly going to be Kelsey running this offense. I do. Because I I think Philly's secondary is just too talented for this Chiefs receiver core. I think it's going to be revolving around Travis Kelsey, and that's fine. I think Kelsey's good enough for you to just run the offense through him. I think it will work. Maybe... Some of the other receivers are able to get open because the defense is so focused on Kelsey. But I think this game runs through Kelsey. It's gonna the offense is gonna do as much as Kelsey allows them to. Because Philly, I, I don't know who they got that could cover Kelsey. Because there realistically is only one player that could kind of cover Kelsey, and his name is Derwin James, and he is not on the Eagles. So I think. Kansas City will get enough done offensively. But I I don't think Kansas City's defense can stop that tremendous Philly offense enough. I think it's going to be a damn close game, but I'm taking Philly, like I said. I just think they attack you in too many different ways. They do. Kansas City 
isn't loaded enough defensively to go toe-to-toe with A.J. Brown. Who do they have that you could trust to consistently win against A.J. Brown? Their secondary is banged up. And, yeah, let's say that you're able to stop him. And I I don't think A.J. Brown is going to have an amazing game, but I think he's going to be a problem for them. If they're somehow able to shut down A.J. Brown completely, Devonta Smith then becomes a problem. And then they also have a healthy Dallas Goddard now. And don't forget Jalen Hurts running the ball. And like I said, that offensive line is the best in the NFL. I don't think the running game is going to be quite as dominant as it's been for the past couple of weeks for the Eagles, like I said, because I trust Kansas City's run defense. But I don't think they're going to be able to completely shut it down. I think they're going to be able to get enough done on the ground. And then when they need to throw it, they'll throw it, and they'll probably do it with a lot of success. I'm taking Philly here. They just attack you in too many different ways. Kansas City absolutely could win. I think for that to happen, they need a turnover or two, which absolutely possible. They need Jalen Hurts to make some mistakes. And I'm not banking on that happening. Anyway, let's move over to the last segment for today. I want to talk about the two most recent head coach hirings. I talked about other coach hirings on TikTok. Recently, I talked about Frank Reich to the Panthers. If you want to check that out, of course, go to No Huddle NFL on TikTok. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. But let's talk about these these two hirings, starting with Sean Payton to the Broncos. This is one that I really, really like. I thought I thought Sean Payton should have got traded for by the Cowboys. I don't know why the Cowboys stuck with McCarthy when Payton was on the market. And especially for this price that they could absolutely pay. I mean, it's surprising that they decided not to, but they're just idiots, I guess. Sean Payton, I'm going to talk about it from the Broncos' perspective first, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit from the Saints' perspective because, well, the Broncos... Let's just be honest here. People are more interested in hearing about one of the best coaches in the league coming back with a new team than they are a couple draft picks for a rebuilding team. All right? Which, by the way, from the Broncos' perspective... This is now the second year in a row where they don't have a first or second round pick. So, yeah. And they also lost second round picks for the next year, too. So, yeah. Not not an absolute, like, slam dunk. They lost nothing by doing this. Like, this wasn't a no-brainer, I want to say. Like, they've lost some valuable assets. A first-round pick and two second-rounders, like, that's big, okay? But with that said, I'm not going to act like the Broncos shouldn't have done this, okay? They need to fix Russell Wilson because they're stuck with him. They shined a deal with the devil, and they are stuck with Russell Wilson. Sean Payton is an offensive mastermind. That offense last year was terrible. It sucked. It was horrendous. Sean Payton, like I said, offensive mastermind. He'll be able to fix this, right? And I think a lot of people are saying this won't work for us because Sean Payton designs a lot of his offense around passes to the middle of the field. Uh, And yeah, that's true. Russell Wilson doesn't throw across the middle of the field. 
And Sean Payton, with Breeze, designed a lot of his offense around passing to the middle of the field. But I feel like people don't understand. Very good offensive coaches don't have very good offenses by bringing in players and just molding them to run his scheme. No, very good offensive coaches build the scheme around the players and the personnel they have. Russell Wilson isn't good at throwing across the middle of the field. Okay. They just simply won't throw across the middle of the field. Or they won't make it a point of emphasis like they did with Breeze, Sean Payton. I don't understand why that's like so hard to believe. I also like it for Sean Payton a lot because I think he has pieces here. Russell Wilson has a lot of talent and he has a ridiculously high ceiling. This guy was an absolute beast. Okay, for so many years. Let's not forget it because of one bad one. Javante Williams, if he could come back from that injury, they have an absolute stud at running back. That offensive line, I mean, it could get a little bit of work, but it isn't terrible. And then at receiver, yeah, maybe they don't have like a bona fide one, but Cortland Sutton is a good player who has his strengths. Jerry Judy is a good player who has his strengths. Those strengths being very different from Sonnen's. And then they have Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. I mean, I don't get why people might think Sean Payton shouldn't have taken this job because he has pieces. And the best thing about it is he won't have to worry about the defense because the defense was ridiculously good last year. And I imagine they're going to keep their defensive coordinator who was ridiculously good. Uh, I mean... He won't have to worry about the defense, which is great. He could just focus on the offense. He's already an offensive mastermind. He'll be able to make an offense with all backups look good, and he has some very talented players here. So I I like this hiring a lot. And then for the Saints, they had no use for Sean Payton. Sean Payton did not want to coach there, and they got draft capital. I, I There's not much elaboration here. It's kind of a no-brainer for them. They just took whatever offer, gave them the most draft picks, and that just ended up being the Broncos, which is surprising because they have very little draft capital due to the Russell Wilson trade. Now, last thing I want to talk about, D'Amico Ryans becoming the head coach of his former team, the Houston Texans. I'm just going to keep it brief right here. D'Amico Ryans was a very good defensive coordinator. And there's huge upside in this hiring. Huge. I mean, he can become one of the best coaches in the league. That's why I always love these coordinator head coach hirings because the upside with these guys is tremendous. Maybe you could sign a bridge guy. Maybe you could sign a Frank Reich who, you know, he'll make you guys mid, but he'll never do anything more than that because we already saw that his ceiling is low and that's why he got fired from the Colts. Signing D'Amico Ryan's kind of a wild card because he hasn't been a head coach before. You don't know what to expect. He could be very bad, and so what if he's really bad? Then you wasted another year of your contracts with players that aren't that good, so it doesn't matter. Oh, no. Like, it, there's no rush for the Texans here is my point. There's no rush for them to bring in a guy that will guarantee them to have a good season. No, they could have a bad season or two. 
They could have five more bad seasons, and no one would bat an eye. Okay? They bring in a head coach that has a chance of sucking, has a chance of not sucking. You know, take the chance because worse comes to worse and he sucks. Okay, we're a rebuilding team anyway. I guess the rebuild takes a couple more years. Whatever. I don't expect that to be how D'Amico Ryan's career plays out. I think that he has some very good football knowledge, as shown by how damn good that defense was with the 49ers. But, you know, he hasn't been a head coach before. Maybe he'll suck. And if he does, oh, well. But I think the upside is ridiculous, and that's why it makes a lot of sense for them to do this. Also, that defense should now be very, very underrated. It should be about average now because I think D'Amico Ryans is a good enough coach. Now, maybe he's too focused on being a head coach, and maybe that takes away from the defense. But if he focuses on the defense, should be damn good. Should be damn good. I'm not sure what to expect from the offense right now. The offense could very well suck. Hopefully they bring in a good offensive coordinator. And maybe D'Amico Ryans will just be a coordinator guy, right? I mean, you see that a lot. A lot of these defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators become head coaches, and then they're not really head coaching material. Maybe D'Amico Ryans will be one of those guys, but there's only one way to find out. Give him a head coaching job. That's what the Texans are doing. I really like it. Offensively, it's we're going to have to see. I don't know who the offensive coordinator is yet. They're going to hire someone, and then I'll talk about the Texans as just an overall team. But right now, I think they signed the right guy to be their head coach, and they have young players. They need to bring in more. There's some potential in some of these guys, and then some positions, they're just really lackluster. We'll have to see. Anyway, that's all for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed if you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. And I'll see you all next week.